0: Welcome to Geek Salad Classic. I'm your host Jay LaRock. This podcast is powered by ObsoleteGamer.com and the Mascot Studios Podcast Network. You can find this podcast on Himalaya, iTunes, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere podcasts are found. Here on Geek Salad Classic Series, we feature interviews with developers, programmers, and gaming experts on the subjects they know best. Now, as you will see, Some of the questions and answers are dated because maybe the game was in pre-release and sometimes it was even at the beginning of its crowdfunding stage. But we still think the discussion was fun and informative, and it'll be something you like, and I hope you will. So without further ado, here we go. All right, so I'm, I'm always fascinated when someone makes a move from like one career to another, especially in the case where someone's doing something like, let's say they're a lawyer. I've heard of a case where someone was a lawyer, and then they went and they decided to do production or something like that where it's like it's harder and the pay is less but you find out it's because a person had a passion for it. So it's really interesting when someone makes that change and today we're happy to have Anthony Gowland joining us from Edinburgh from the UK. That's really awesome because I love talking to people from other locations outside the US just so it can expand my knowledge. I just want to say thanks for coming on and talking with us.
1: No, I'm always man. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: So I'm curious about that. I mean, I want to talk about your game uh, binaries and things like that, but can you just tell us, I mean, working like with Rockstar Activision, working on AAA titles, can you just tell us about making that move to Ant Workshop, you know, doing indie and doing stuff like that? Because everyone's talking about, oh man, I want to make it big time. And then, you know, you were up there and you said, hey, you know, I want to do my own stuff, even if it's going to be smaller, harder at first.
1: Yeah, man. So I started out in the games industry um, actually in like a a smaller company. It was uh, a company called Particle Systems that made uh, games for PC. They made a game called I War, um, which is like a sort of space shooter uh, back like where before the whole kind of space shooter revival thing now. Um, And that was a company of maybe 30, 40 people, something like that and that's really where I got started um, and I moved into Rockstar from there and I was based in uh, Rockstar's handheld development studio Rockstar Leeds mm-hmm. and again it was a relatively small team it was maybe I think that was maybe 50 people that we had there um, and we had we were building uh, Liberty City Stories Vice City Stories on the PlayStation Plus uh, then we made Chan Wars and the Nintendo DS um, and it, it was still quite um, compact teams working on these things and if you had like a lot of creative control over what was going into the game and how you were making it um, and then I moved from there in Rockstar, I moved and I did some work on uh, Red Dead Redemption and then from there onto Grand Theft Auto V and that's the point where moving away from like the handheld things into the big console games yeah, you starting to get really really big teams, like I'm not sure how many people we had on Red Dead or GTA 5, but like these are kind of like big 200-man-plus teams across multiple continents all working on these things. Um, and that's the point where you start to feel like you're, you're, you've you not got quite as much control over kind of the bigger picture of things. In um, Activision, again, so when I started working at Activision, we were doing uh, mobile, but we were working on Call of Duty for mobile. We worked on the Call of Duty strike team on uh, uh, iOS and Android and these are, it was a relatively small teams but Call of Duty's got so much weight behind it and so much history and there are a lot of people involved in that franchise already um, you feel like you don't necessarily have as much control over it and really kind of my whole background in games has always been I got into games through modding, through making my own Half-Life maps, through making my own Counter-Strike maps and and that's always been my background making my own things having a lot of control over what I'm putting out and that's kind of why I wanted to move back into the indie space and uh, get involved in just in kind of having my own vision for a game and releasing that
0: yeah it's interesting too because um, like you were talking about it can take years in order to get some of these games out and with indie games you know you have like you said more control and it's kind of funny because it does mirror like what some people in entertainment do it's like Sure, I could go join some big production, but man, if I make indie movies, I have control. I can tell my story. People aren't telling me, oh, this isn't going to sell. This isn't gonna... You could be much more creative. But <laughs> was it also, like you said, the time where it's going to consume so much of your time that over your career, you get to do actually less than in an indie setting?
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, um, it was definitely a thing at the time. I was kind of sat at Rockstar, and I was thinking about it, and... So there were people that had worked on Red Dead for like kind of five years, like I only worked on it right right towards the end, but there were people that had worked on Red Dead Redemption for like five years, and if you think you've got maybe a career of, I don't know, um, 40 years or something like that until you retire, if every game takes you five years of working on it, like you've you've got a whole body of work across your whole life that's like not really a massive amount of output. and, and then like the complete flip side of that is like obviously binaries that I'm working on now that it's just about to release. Um, it's taken me, it's well it's taken me a year, but that's not been full-time work like I've been doing um, other sort of consultancy work. It's it's basically like a six-month game, and so it's a lot quicker and a lot easier to put out. But even then you see it in the indie space, there, there are people like um, the Stardew Valley guy was interviewed saying, He'd, he'd worked for like four years on Statue Valley, just like really hammering away on Statue Valley, and it's like I've got a lot of respect for people that have that much um, passion and that much kind of focus on being able to do that one idea. And th- that guy sort of was just like, okay, I'm I'm going to make this. I know that this is this is what I want to do, but. I'm. I'm not sure I could work on the same project for four years, man.
0: Yeah, d- it definitely is one of those things that can it can drag it down, especially if you have all these ideas. I know, it, and binaries was one of those games that you you were like, man, it, it was sitting in your head. And you want to get it out. Um, before we go into that, though, I wanted to ask you. I, you know, I read about how you know you grew up with gaming, and like one of your first systems was like the Vic Twenty. Can you tell us about <laughs> you know that history, like growing up with those classic games that you know real retro gamers know about.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. So um, basically, it's so I'm the youngest of three kids, um, and because of that, we had computers in the house. So we had like a Vic Twenty. Um, we had an Acorn Electron. I'm not even in China sure whether the like the Acorn, the BBC microcomputer stuff ever made it across to the states. Whether many of your viewers will actually know about them that much. But um, so yeah, like a Vic Twenty, Acorn Electron, that kind of stuff. Like. Um, there's an amazing game called Repton that was um, like a Boulder Dash clone kind of thing on the um, Electron, and that um, that game had a, a map editor built into it, so you could make your own stages in it and and play them. And like, so this is so far before the internet. Like, you, you had no way of sharing these with anyone, but the, it was that kind of. I think that was what really sparked the fascination with making my own things. There I was doing that, and then. Um, at the time, like you'd get, you buy a magazine about like a computer magazine, but you didn't have like a demo disc on the front or anything like that. It has a listing inside it of like uh, of the uh, bit, like the computer instructions of what you've got to type in to make this game, and it's yeah. like so you're sat there typing away and like writing this stuff, and it kind of gets into your system, and um, you sort of pick up on. Oh, okay. This is even though you've not invented that thing, you're picking up and like, okay, that line's doing that, and that line's doing that, and that's it. Kind of builds into this interest and this involvement in in doing things. And I like, I think I see it today in kids today when they're playing stuff like Minecraft and like they're actually. The creative side of it, like they're building these things and it's sparking off that interest of like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this and how do, I, how do I build more than this and how do I, if I wanted to do this other thing, how do I do that? And it's cool, man. I, like, I really, what's going on with like engines um, being available today, it's, it's really good stuff.
0: Yeah, and then you moved on, like after going to university, and then you're starting with your new jobs. You're like working at places like Compaq and stuff, and that's where you started doing like the <laughs> maps you we were talking about, the Quake, yeah. Quake, Mac, Counter Strike maps. It's really awesome because I remember playing that uh, back in the day. I remember also Duke Nukem. People would make those maps and upload oh, them like um, yeah. on AOL or something, and you're like, oh man, you. It's like you had unlimited games because people would create some awesome maps. I actually got into making original StarCraft maps, and then seeing how many games, and even now today on StarCraft two you have the arcade can you just tell us about you know that fps uh, aspect of creating those maps and and how that led you know later on to wanting to design more games
1: yeah so um so like i said so i was at university and i was doing um at the time when i went to university there weren't uh, specific games courses so there wasn't things like full sale like you've got in the states there and we've got uh, abateo here in uh, scotland um so i was doing just like a normal computer science course um and part of my degree had me uh, with a work placement in Compaq. And so I was in this office. We were making a really boring email server uh, software all day. But every lunchtime and at the end of every day at work, everyone had down tools. And because we've all got these network computers, um, a copy of Quake could get fired up. And we'd all sit there playing uh, Quake World and getting involved in that. And that was really playing that and kind of wanting to explore that that really piqued my interest then again in building my own maps and uh, learning the um what's it called uh, worldcraft was the was the name of the program and learning that um, and that was the same year, kind of by chance, that was the same year that um half life came out and half life's essentially built on like a quite heavily modded version of the quake engine, so it uses the same tools uh to To allow you to make levels, um, and Half-Life just kind of blew my mind, like, like Quake was good, but, like, Half-Life was just, like, this totally other thing, and um, it was, all, like, the sort of almost realistic setting of it kind of thing, and, like, just the inventiveness of the weapons and just everything about it, I loved it, um, and so I, re- like, started building levels for that, and um, and then... Uh, counter-strike came out and people was like counter-strike really super early days of counter-strike where it was like barely worked and uh, really crashy early alphas and stuff like that but it was just it was all this thing of the communities that built up around the mapping were just absolutely amazing like people really getting involved in forums and really helping each other out on like ideas on how to build these different things Um, and yeah, I just loved it. So I really got quite involved in that, um, and that was when, um so f- like during my final year at university, I was kind of still really heavily into all this Counter Strike mapping, um, and then, uh, like I said, Particle Systems, the, comp- the first games job that I had, they were looking for level designers, and I thought like, well. At the time, like I was just coming up to finish my degree, and I was like, "Well, I'm applying for all these banks and financial institutions and stuff, just to write really boring <laughs> computer software." Where it's like, "Stuff it, man! I'll, I'll fling in an application to these guys to to go and work in games." And it's kind of, it was never my intention to get a job in games, but it was just, it's. I've never done anything since, and I don't. I wouldn't want to do anything <laughs> since. Yeah, it's just such a cool industry to be in. And I, so, but the worst thing was, so I was. Um, when Planet Half-Life, or like all of their stuff and the Planet Quake stuff, it's all gone now. Like those whole websites, yeah. like they used to host like loads of different mappers, websites and that, all of that stuff's gone. So it's a bit sad.
0: Yeah, because I remember going to like Planet Quake and seeing things like that, and I know some of that got parlayed into other websites, but it kind of takes things away because, I mean, back in the day when you had the, the LAN parties, you had the IPX connections and things like <laughs> that, where you were able to really get in there and just create these games. I mean, one of the things in Miami when I first started was with this gigantic LAN party, and it was like you had all these people bringing in these maps, and it was like, wow, you're, you're getting exposed to all this stuff. And with all the games there are today, a lot of people end up playing the same set of games like you talk to people and their library may be they may have 50 games in their library but how many sequels and and remakes and things like that is almost like movies but then you have (laughs) the indie game uh industry where you can go and you're like wow look at all these games but you still have to push through now with ant workshop when you first started, you were like mainly helping other people with games, but then you got to the point with binaries where you said, "Hey, you know, I had this game and I really want to get this out. Can you just, you know, tell us about that process how it led to getting a uh, binaries about to be released on Steam in the next few weeks."
1: Yeah, so like you said, when I started off found workshop, um, it was the easiest stuff. Was um, I was doing uh, consultancy work for other people, so kind of going into other people's games, and especially because I'd just come from working at a mobile company up in Dundee, um, and there's like there's a lot of interest there in the mobile games industry of people. There's a lot of people that work there that have worked on console games and that kind of thing and maybe he's moving across and maybe don't necessarily understand mobile or are coming in it from different directions and don't have uh, quite the design background for things so that I was doing uh, consultancy work for people kind of helping them out, helping design bits and pieces and it got, but at the same time like anytime that I had some free time like this idea of like okay I can I can build binaries, and um, it was called Tealy and Orangey back then, but it's like I can build this thing in Unity. And it was kind of like a steadily creeping um, idea of a thing and sort of slowly building it up. Um, and then I got a little bit of, um, I was actually quite lucky and got uh, applied for a bit of, a uh, small bit of funding to you that I'm allowed to use in marketing. Um, and there's a big game show over here um, for independent developers. it's uh, in london called egx rest and um, and so i applied like i applied to, to uh for some funding marketing funding to be able to show my game at that and uh got that and then that has basically been the catalyst for okay that's that's a deadline there, there of this is kind of uh when i've got to have this thing for sure so let's let's really just kind of focus down on getting this done and uh, polishing it up and getting it out there. And I'm just so, like, I'm really happy with how it's all kind of come together. Um, in the end, like, I, I feel like the polish that's in the game there is something that actually really stands it apart from kind of like a lot of people's kind of uh, indie stuff.
0: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the gameplay? Because it's really interesting how it's like a, you have to concentrate it's a puzzle-type game. and it's one of those things where you've seen lots of puzzle games, but when someone has the opportunity to take it and change, like how it works, like, like, you, like you said, controlling the two different uh, spears at the same time, and some can go over some terrain, some can't, it's, it brings more interesting aspects to a genre of games that you know people may be used to, but they're like, wow, this is different. Can you just tell us a little bit about the gameplay experience that people have when they get a chance to play it?
1: Yeah, sure. So the the idea with binaries then is, like you say, you've got two characters that you're controlling at exactly the same time with exactly the same set of controls. So when you press right, both characters move right. When you jump, they both try and jump. Um, And then laid on top of that, there are these levels. So uh, one of the characters is blue, one of the characters is orange. And every every item in the level is either blue or orange. And they interact they'll only interact with things of their own colour, so um, an orange spike is deadly to the orange ball, but the blue guy is completely immune to that. And what you end up with is this situation where you've really got to kind of pay attention to, like, okay, if I jump now, is one of them going to hit something? Is the, the other one going to survive? What's going on? It's kind of like I always liken it to, if you imagined, like, playing two different Super Meat Boy levels at exactly the same time using one controller, it's like that's kind of where you've got to get your headspace around because it's like Super Meat Boy and M Plus uh, really been the things that have um, influenced me a lot in kind of the, the type of thing that I wanted to make, something that's like it's quite, you'll die a lot, like it's re- it's really hard you will die a lot in it but it's, you'll die and then you immediately restart back over, it's, it's really fast, paced still Um, and you've got this quite uh, tight loop of just like repeat, repeat, repeat and then like you're gradually sort of learning it and you're gradually starting to spot these patterns in how things move in the level and uh, how you should jump from one thing to the other and how to kind of get around the different levels, you know.
0: Yeah, and... So as far as what you, I mean, it's 101 levels, so that's a lot uh, as well. And then you also have the different, if you want even a harder challenge, wow. I mean, it's already sounds like it's difficult, but you want more, then you can go against the clock, your own uh, times and things like that. So I mean, something where it has not only a long beginning just for how many levels and stuff you get, but then it has more challenge if you say, hey, I did this really well, Oh, really Now beat this time.
1: Yeah, exactly. So the whole thing has got uh, time rankings on every level, so it's like you can take it really slow, you can take it really carefully and you can complete a level, but if it takes you five minutes to complete a level, the game will just be like, whatever man, that's that's nothing. You can complete this level in, this level can be completed in 10 seconds or something like that, and that's the point where you turn around and go, how do you do that? Like some of the times, I promise you, every time that's in the game, you can complete it because every time I have completed it, like I've passed it. But some of the times, like even I've set times and then I've kind of gone back to them a week later and kind of forgotten the, the trick or forgotten the route of how I got through a particular level. And I look at it and go, you can't do this level in 10 seconds. I, I surely haven't managed to do this level in 10 seconds. But at the same time, so the, the whole game, um, originally when I made it, it was, it had, a linear progression, so it's like you finish one level, you go straight onto the next level, bam, 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 bam. Well, what I was finding was people were finding like the difficulty curve on it um, really tricky because some people find some bits of it hard, some people find other bits of it hard. So it's uh, depending on what the challenge in a particular level was, people were getting stuck in totally different places. Um, and then it occurred to me to build actually the game's got like this uh, sort of free form map in it, so. When you finish a level, uh, the game unlocks the other levels that surround it. And then it's like, okay, so you've finished that level and maybe now you've got a choice of three other levels to go to. So you try that one and you hammer away at that one and you get kind of getting stuck in it, you can't do it. So it's like, okay, I can back out of that and I've still got two other levels there to try. So it's like I can play one of these other levels instead and make some progress in one of those levels, finish that one. And it, you, can, you basically end up winding your own way around the map um, And have so many other levels kind of available to you to try, but like when people play it, they never really feel like completely stuck because you've always kind of got this option of, okay, I'll just back out of the map, pick a totally different level, kind of reset myself, sat myself down and kind of learn a different challenge on it.
0: Now, I was reading that, how it said that originally, like the name Orngy, it's like you had to change it to binaries because binary sounds cooler and you didn't like that. I don't know. I think both could have worked. I mean, I, I think that both would have been either sweet. I mean, binaries is cool, but I don't know. Orgy could have worked as well, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the kind of... The... Uh, with Tilly and Orangey, people always said to me like, "Oh, when they saw the name, it made them think of like a kind of '90s platform game, like Banjo Kazooie or something like that." Like, right, yeah. they always think like two two characters with big uh, sort of big eyes on them, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, and then so the other thing was as well, people kind of always got the the, the order of it mixed up. So like I'll still, I'll get people that know the original name that say to me like, oh, you man, that Binary's name isn't as good. You should have kept that orange and teal name. And it's like, it wasn't called orange. You you can't get the name right. If you can't get the name right, you're kind of proving my point that the name wasn't right. <laughs> That's
0: true. And it is about marketing getting, getting the name out there. So it's important. So I see it works like that. So as far as Steam, uh, people will be able to get it uh, early April, April 4th, I believe, right?
1: That's right, yeah. So it's released on Steam for... Um, piece for Windows and Mac on Steam on April the 4th and um, it's coming to PlayStation 4 and Xbox One later
0: in the year. Awesome. Well, I hope that people will go check this game out. It looks awesome, especially if you like any type of puzzle games and especially support indie developers because, you know, I'm always hearing people talking about, oh, you know, AAAs are, they're all stale and stagnant and we need new blood. Well, here's some new blood right here. So go out and support that game. Get on Steam when it comes out. Anthony, thanks for coming on and talking with us today. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a pleasure.